Well, we're going to go ahead and get into our sermon passage for today. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 18 through 21. We're proceeding through Isaiah this summer, and here we are in this passage, and the topic today is wickedness. Wickedness may seem like an expired word to you, an old-fashioned word. It might uh, conjure up images of an old sweaty preacher in a backcountry church yelling about people's sin, and it might just seem like an outmoded word that we don't need anymore. But we do need the word because we need the concept in order to understand reality. Uh, we live in a society that has an insufficient vocabulary with which to engage with reality. And we have fair and unfair, and those are important terms, and they help us to understand things. We have equal and unequal. We have tolerant and intolerant. We think in terms of just and unjust, right and wrong, good or bad. And all these are terms that we need. This is part of the whole vocabulary that we need as Christians to understand the world and to interact with the world. But if we lose this concept of wickedness, and this vocabulary of wickedness, then we lose a very important uh, concept for understanding reality as a whole. I, I don't know if it's true, but I heard in a movie that if you're near an explosion and it damages your hearing to where you hear a, a buzzing sound afterward, that that's a certain frequency that your ear is losing, that you'll never hear that frequency again. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a good illustration of what happens when we lose these Bible words, these biblical concepts like wickedness. We no longer can see wickedness anymore. And so we use other words to describe what could really only be described as wickedness. And if we lose that concept, we, we are not able to engage with reality the way we need to as Christians. Wickedness means in the most general terms, living contrary to God's ways. If you remember last week in verse 17, Isaiah said, Everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. There he's describing the threefold comprehensive wickedness of God's people. They were contrary to God's ways. They were godless, so they were wrong in their relationship with God. They were evildoers, so they were wrong in their relationship with morality. And they spoke folly, so they were wrong in their relationship with wisdom. And so they were wicked. And what we're going to see today are three points about wickedness that are really going to help us to understand ourselves and what's going on around us. The first one is that wickedness is like fire. Wickedness is like fire. Let's read verse 18. For wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. So picture a, a brush fire. You have some brush that you need to burn. You know it's been hot and dry, and it's probably not a good time to do this, but you've got to get it done, so you, you start this brush fire. From that brush fire, an ember floats up with the smoke, up into the sky, and this ember retains enough of a spark to stay red, and it floats out of your sight, and it lands in a dry field full of just dried up chaff, just uh, dry husks out in this field. So this tiny little ember lands in this field. It's small, it looks insignificant, 
as Charles Spurgeon said in his sermon on this passage or on this idea, a child's foot could stamp it out or a single drop of rain could snuff it out and yet not extinguish. That one little ember catches something on fire that's a little bit bigger than it, which then catches something on fire that's a little bit bigger than it and so on and so forth until that one little ember becomes a raging wildfire that consumes an entire countryside. That's the imagery Isaiah is using here to explain how wickedness works. It's like a fire. It burns. It consumes briars and thorns first, which are kind of small, kind of like kindling, easy to catch on fire. Then before you know it, it's consuming thickets of the forest. And before you know it, everything is just rolled upward in this column of smoke. Such good imagery that Isaiah uses here. It's the same progression that we see in James chapter 1 verses 14 through 15 of how wickedness is like this. It's like a spark that just grows and grows and grows and consumes more and more and more. In James it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. This is the idea Jesus may have had in mind in the Sermon on the Mount, of the Mount when he said, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, do not even look at a woman lustfully, for if you do, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. The blaze of adultery is present in the spark of the lustful glance. He said the same thing about murder. The, the fire of murder is present in the ember of anger. He said, you've heard it said, do not commit, do not murder. But I say to you, if you in anger toward your brother feel hatred toward him, you've committed murder in your heart already. It's no accident that wickedness is this way, that it starts small and grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And that brings us to our second point. So the first point is that wickedness is like fire. Second point is the consequences of wickedness are an expression of God's wrath. The consequences of wickedness are an expression of God's wrath. Verse 19, through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. Here's another important word we need to hang on to in our vocabularies. We want to hang on to the word wicked because we need to hang on to that idea and that concept. We also want to hang on to the word wrath because we need to hang on to that idea and that concept. Wrath is anger bursting out. So you may feel anger towards someone and it just sort of stirs inside you, but it's not until you can't take it anymore and you, you attack or you blurt out your feelings or you yell in a rage. That's wrath when it bursts out in an expression. And here it's referring to the wrath of God. Now, you might remember last week I talked a little bit about wrath. I actually kind of regret the way I talked about wrath. I think I talked about it in too simplistic of terms. I contrasted it with discipline and how God disciplines his children and doesn't show them wrath. And that was just, it was too simplistic. You can't separate God's wrath and his discipline that neatly and cleanly. And so I do kind of regret the way I spoke about that last week. Here we see that through the, the wrath of the Lord, the fiery results of wickedness come about. Now, wickedness usually in the Bible, or often at least in the Bible, is 
uh, I'm sorry, wrath is usually pointing to the future, a future day of wrath when Jesus is going to return and bring about judgment over all the earth. Here is talking about a kind of living wrath. It's a present reality that Israel was experiencing as they read these words and heard these words from Isaiah. There's an ultimate wrath to come, but there's also a living wrath. And this living wrath is our natural state as human beings in this fallen world. Ephesians 2.3 says that we were all, apart from Jesus's intervention, we were all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. John 3.36 says, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, this living wrath is the common everyday experience of every human being, apart from Jesus' intervention. So, what does this wrath look like? It's not like Zeus in a cloud throwing lightning bolts down upon people who do something wicked. It's also not karma. Karma is an Eastern religious idea that if you do something bad, something bad is going to come back to you somehow, indirectly, through fate. The universe is going to bring something bad about to you if you have done something bad. That is not what this idea is. This is the idea that there are logical, natural consequences to human wickedness. And that God allows those consequences to carry themselves out. And in fact, God programmed those consequences into reality on purpose. And it is a part of his wrath that those consequences come about. Uh, it's, uh, I've told you before about a friend of mine that jumped off of their shed roof onto a trampoline as a kid. Now, let's just say that was a wicked decision. Let's just say that his parents had told him not to do that because it wasn't safe, and he disobeyed his parents. I don't know if his parents ever told him that or not. But let's just say that they did. And so not only was it foolish to jump from that shed onto that trampoline with no safety features whatsoever, had no net, had no padding over the rusty springs, let's say that was actually a wicked decision. Jumped off the shed onto the trampoline, bounced off onto the ground, broke his arm. Now, that broken arm is a natural, logical consequence of the wicked decision to jump off the shed. God was not in a cloud. He did not strike this young man in the arm with a lightning bolt and break it to punish him for his decision. God allowed the natural logical consequences to come about. It was also, it wasn't karma. Karma would have been if this person made the wicked decision to jump onto the trampoline and then a week later something happened and broke his arm. It was disconnected and unrelated to the trampoline jump, but it was the universe paying him back. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches it's like the law of gravity. Wickedness has consequences, and they come about. And those natural, logical consequences are actually an expression of God's wrath against the wickedness. This is one reason why this concept is so prevalent in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs isn't really about morality as much as it is about wisdom. And this concept is sprinkled throughout the entire book. As I was preparing for this sermon, Proverbs kept coming up over and over and over again. I'll share a couple of them with you. Proverbs chapter 1 verses 39 through, I'm sorry, 29 through 30 says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel 
and despised my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. See, just the logic and the natural consequences. They will eat the fruit of their own ways. Proverbs 11.5, The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. And one more, Proverbs 13.6 says, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament idea that's in Isaiah and Proverbs. It's in the New Testament as well. Galatians 6, 7-8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. It could also be translated destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So here we see it biblically. We also see it just anecdotally. We see this in our own lives. We see this carried out in the lives of others. What we do has consequences for good or bad. And when we live wickedly, we do wicked things, consequences come from that. Uh, A parent or parents sow indulgence into their children and they reap entitled brats that make their lives miserable. A young man sows secrecy, uh, covers up secret things he shouldn't be doing, covers it up with secrecy and deception. He reaps isolation and alienation from God and other people and paranoia. Uh, A couple sows greed and envy into their decisions when they uh, make purchase decisions, and they reap crushing, enslaving debt. These are expressions of God's wrath, but not in the form of a lightning bolt from heaven, in the form of natural, logical consequences to their wicked decisions. So, the first point, wickedness is like fire. The second point, let's see how I phrase it. I already flipped my paper. Make sure I phrase it the same way again. Consequences of wickedness are an expression of God's wrath. And then the third and final point, wickedness causes people to consume themselves. Wickedness causes people to consume themselves. Let's look at verse 20. They slice meat on the right, but are still hungry. They devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Now, here again is great imagery from Isaiah. Uh, People that they cannot slice meat fast enough to satisfy their hunger. They cannot devour fast enough to satisfy themselves to the point that their own arm gets in the way and they eat their own arm. Uh, If wickedness had a company slogan, it would be not satisfied. Perpetual dissatisfaction is the plight of the wicked person. You may have heard of Prader-Willie syndrome. I remember hearing of this as a kid and just thinking it would be the worst thing. It's a syndrome, it's a neurological condition in which your brain does not uh, sense a feeling of fullness and satisfaction. So the person suffering from the syndrome always feels hungry, no matter how much they eat. So you know what it feels like to be hungry, and you know what it feels like to be satisfied. You might be hungry right now, and you're waiting, lunch is cooking or something, and you're waiting to eat lunch, and you know what that feels like after the meal to have satisfied that hunger. 
Uh, you feel full, you feel at peace physically. Can you imagine never experiencing that feeling of satisfaction, always feeling hungry, having to discipline yourself to eat specific portions because otherwise you would eat yourself to death because you can just never get full. That, spiritually speaking, is the condition for the wicked person. They cannot find satisfaction. Proverbs 13, 25 says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. So they can't slice meat fast enough. They can't devour fully enough until their own arm comes into play and they eat their own arm. Now, what is he talking about here? Is this just a silly image? Verse 21 shows that this is a really good figure of speech that shows and explains what is happening to Israel as a nation right now. Manasseh devours Ephraim and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. So here's the bottom line of what Isaiah is getting at. He is explaining to Israel why this is happening to them nationally, why these tribes that should be united are warring against themselves, why they're turning in on themselves. It's because of wickedness. They could have pointed to all kinds of factors. It's political factors. It's because this other leader did this thing. It's because of uh, this circumstantial situation. It's because Assyria is threatening us, so we're panicking. And Isaiah, as a prophet, is sent to them by God to say, no, it's not because of any of that. These are the natural consequences of your own wickedness. You're devouring each other. So what are we supposed to do with all this here in the year 2020, modern-day Christians? Well, as I've studied this passage and these ideas in the rest of Scripture, three Scriptures have kind of risen to the top that I think will help us respond to this. There's one thing to not do, and then there's two things to do. And so we'll start with the thing to not do in response to this. In response to the fact that wickedness is like a fire, the consequences of wickedness are an expression of God's wrath, and wickedness causes people to consume themselves. Here's how not to respond. Don't cover your wickedness with religiousness. Don't try to cover your wickedness with religiousness. Luke eleven thirty nine. 39, Jesus says, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. The Pharisees were awesome at being religious. They were way better than you or, or I at being religious, but their religious activity could not cleanse what was inside their wickedness. You can't cover wickedness with church attendance. You can't cover wickedness with giving to Penny Crusade. You can't cover wickedness, wickedness with posting Bible verses on social media. It needs to be cleansed more deeply than that. And that's where Jesus comes in. We had at the church a problem with our air conditioner units right during the most humid and rainy couple of weeks. And so we got some mildew and mold issues developed within the church. Now we're on top of that now. We've got the AC units fixed, the humidity is under control. And, uh, but we had somebody come in, a professional, who looked at the, the situation and he said, you have to have something very specific to clean mold. You can't just clean it like you would clean normal dirt. He said, bleach doesn't even work. Bleach just changes the color of the mold so it looks better. But the problem persists. You have to have a specific solution. 
This is the way wickedness works. You have to have a specific solution to deal with your wickedness, which brings us to the second scripture of how to respond to all this. Don't try to cover your wickedness with religiousness. Instead, turn to Jesus. Jesus is the special solution that can cleanse wickedness. He turns wickedness into righteousness and innocence. Romans 5, 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus is what can cleanse our wickedness. So God created you to be in close relationship with him. Sin has separated you from him. The bad things that you do and the good things that you don't has separated you from him. And you can't clean yourself up sufficiently to be acceptable to him. And so he sent Jesus to live the perfect life that you have failed to live, to die on the cross in your place in payment for your wickedness and for your sins. So that if you repent of your sins, if you turn away from those things and you recognize your need for God's forgiveness, you confess those sins and wickedness to God and ask for that forgiveness, receive that forgiveness that Jesus accomplished on the cross and give yourself to following Jesus as your Lord. You're cleansed, forgiven, made right, given Jesus's perfect record. Your wickedness is removed from you as far as the East is from the West. That's the good news of Christianity. And it's the only way to deal with our wickedness, which brings us to the third point. Some of you may hear that and you're thinking, I am already a Christian. I know this. I've already trusted and followed Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. The third thing to do in response to this is keep on repenting. That repentance is not just the doorway into Christianity. Christianity, It is the daily experience of Christianity. James 1, 21, this is written to Christians. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Put away any wickedness in your life and receive afresh the word that is able to save your soul, which I think is referring to the gospel message I just proclaimed to you a minute ago. And increasingly as you do that, you'll be freer from wickedness and therefore freer from the consequences of wickedness. Because even as Christians, you will still experience the consequences of your wickedness. Even though God looks at you and sees Jesus's perfection, Even as a Christian, if you choose to live wickedly today, you will experience consequences tomorrow. The example I used this morning, I'll use it with you as well. If I decide to go fully gluttonous and eat a bunch of sweets for a long time, which I am tempted to do every day, I want sweets. I I want it right now. I love sugary stuff. Uh, Whatever it is, is very difficult for me to control myself around it. It's one of my struggles. So if I just give in to that and say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven for my wickedness, that's all removed as far as the East is from the West, so I can do whatever I want. God God will forgive me when I finally come around and turn and repent of that. I don't lose my salvation, but he's not going to shield me from the consequences of that. If, if I just indulge in all the sweet stuff that I would like to indefinitely, I will bear out the consequences of that in my physical health. My teeth will rot out of my head. I already have cavities from my struggles with this as a child on up. Uh, I'll I'll develop all kinds of disorders. My blood sugar will be all out of whack. I'll become uh, obese. I'll have heart issues. It it will be bad. He's not going to just shield me from those consequences because I'm a Christian. He's going to allow those consequences 
to bear themselves out, just like he is for Israel here. So, Christian, this is the word for you this morning. Wickedness is like a fire. The consequences of wickedness are an expression of God's wrath. Wickedness causes people to consume themselves. It's a self-sabotaging, self-consuming thing. So don't try to cover your wickedness with religiousness. Turn to Jesus, who can turn your wickedness into innocence. And then keep turning to Jesus every day. And he will increasingly free you from wickedness and put you on the right path. So let me pray for us and we'll be done for this morning. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ and making a way for us to be freed from our wickedness. Lord, help us to retain this concept in our thinking as we look around and see the world, but help us to see ourselves through these lenses as well. Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts, every one of us, and bring to mind any wickedness from which we need to repent and turn toward you afresh and uh, enjoy that forgiveness through Christ, but also that restoration. And as we're praying, I want to pray for Becky and Hamp and Hamp's mother, that you would be very near to them in a tangible way that they could experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.